Lord, we thank You that You have a plan for us here this morning. We're not just gathered here because of tradition or because it's nice to see our friends and family. Lord, You you have called us here today because You want to speak into our hearts. You are continuing that process of cleansing our hearts. Refining Your character, Your nature in us. And so we come here expecting, ready for Your Spirit to do Your work. I pray, God, that You would keep out those things that would distract us. Our own agendas, our own tendencies to follow the things that are easy for us, but Lord, that we would be open to the hard things that Your Spirit wants to point up in our lives today so that we can walk more closely with You, so that we can shine Your light more brightly in this world. So we thank You. Thank You. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 3. We're continuing where we left off last week. Jesus and His disciples... His newly appointed disciples are um, on their up on the mountainside. Jesus has called them and appointed these these twelve that he was going to pour out his life into over the next three years of ministry. And and so often in Scripture we have these moments, these mountaintop moments, right, uh, where where God is connecting with people. And there's just this wonderful um, uh, wonderful experience of, of, of intimacy with God. And, and you've probably experienced those times in your lives as well, right? You had that opportunity of getting away from everything and just really focusing your, your attention on the Lord, on knowing Him, on hearing His voice. And there's just this wonderful um, purity. And then you got to come down off the mountain. <laughs> and, and so often it's when we're in those times when there's just been this really great time and, and you can see Jesus and His disciples spending time up away from all of the crowds, all of the people, to be able to just talk. And He's, he's commissioning them into this new role of of, of them being able to carry that message of, of the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. To heal the sick. To, to, to have authority over demons. But then when you come down off that mountain, it's often at that time when there is some testing. When the Lord allows Satan to shake us a little bit. Um, and it brings us back to the realization we need to depend on God in every moment, all times. Uh, that we can't just live up there on that mountaintop, but um, our mission, our call, our call is to uh, the life, the ministry, the mission in the valley. 
So Jesus and the disciples are up there, and then uh, starting at verse 20, um, we see them come down off the mountain. Verse 20 says, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard of it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He's possessed by Beelzebul. And the, the prince of darkness is how he casts out demons. So he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But it's coming to an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless first he binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, but and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Because they had said to him, He has an unclean spirit. And his mothers and his brothers came, and standing outside, they went, uh, they they sent to him and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, "Your your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you." And he answered them, "Who are my mother and brothers?" And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, "Here are my mother." And my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. So, Jesus returns to Capernaum. You know, that's the, the place that he had kind of set up as his home base. Um, uh, his, his home, he had, had grown up in Nazareth. That's where his family was from, which was a... a uh, a day's walk or so from from Capernaum, uh, but he had earlier he it, 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 Mark had recorded that Jesus had made Capernaum his home base. That's where he called home while he was doing his ministry. So they went back to Capernaum, and the crowds, as soon as they heard that he was there, they came and flooded people with their sick, people with those that were demon-possessed, those that just wanted to, to hear the message of Jesus, those that wanted to, to see the show, to be able to see the, the miracles being performed. Everybody came. There were those that came, and we read about them later on, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem. They came 
be able to 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 uh, undermine, to to discredit, to to attack and try and destroy him. So this huge crowd. Now I don't know. I don't know that I've ever been in a crowd where where it was so thick that you couldn't even eat. I'm a pretty motivated eater, so it's going to take a lot to stop me from. I guess maybe there was. Uh, that's not true. There was that one time, Denise. I don't know how I let her convince me to do this. Uh, we were in Edmonton visiting my parents for Christmas, and she wanted to go hit Boxing Day sales at West Edmonton Mall. It was like literally, and it's a huge place, right? But the you're walking through and you just can't move because there's so many. Oh, it was a nightmare. So, so many people that they couldn't even eat. And Jesus' family hears about it. Verse 21, when his family heard about it, they went out to seize him because they said he is out of his mind. What? What did Jesus do that gave any indication that he was out of his mind? Was it because he was crowded by so many people? Because he was stirring up so much turmoil in the world? It just is hard to understand what it was that they saw in, in, in what Jesus had done so far. The fact that he was healing a leper, that, that, that he had, we talked about this, it was healing that Jewish leper that had, there had never been a Jewish leper healed of, of leprosy before. And that was one of, tradition said that that was one of the signs that, that the Messiah was going to be the only one that would be able to heal a Jewish leper. Was it that? Was it was it the, the 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 demons that he had cast out? Was that what they were saying? What he was out of his mind? The the things that he was saying about repent, the kingdom of God is coming. What was it that that his family saw that made them think he was out of his mind? This is this is the people that he grew up with. This is Mary. His mother, who received uh, an angelic visit that told her that she was going to bear the Savior of the world. This is Mary and uh, probably Joseph. We don't ever hear about Joseph past the, uh, the trip to Egypt, so he probably passed away already. Uh, but this was his parents. They were there. They had heard from the shepherds of this great angelic host that had proclaimed the coming of the Savior. They, they were the ones that the Magi came and, and told that they had seen the star in the east. Surely Mary would have known all of that stuff. She, had, she had, had seen and heard him talk with the priests and the Pharisees and the rabbis in the temple. You would think that she was ready for this. You would think that she was prepared. But it just, this is all building into Mark's testimony of, of the unexpected way that Jesus' ministry went. Uh, the, the people that you expect 
that would believe him don't. The people who who you would never imagine that they would put their trust in him. Those are the ones that do, right? We, who, who have been the people that, Je- that have believed in Jesus? There was, uh, there was the, the leper, the, the, the one who came to him and said, if you willed it, you can heal me. Knowing that there had never been a Jewish person healed of leprosy ever. That leper had faith that this was the Messiah. The paralyzed man and his friends, right? That, 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 that came to Jesus again in a crowded house, but they had faith that this was the divine Messiah, the, the, the Son of Man that would not only be able to heal, but as we talked about, they must have had faith that this was also the one that was going to set them free from their sins because when Jesus saw their faith, These are the people that, that we see that, that are believing. Levi and his tax collector friends. Oh, what a ragged bunch. And, and all of the other sinners that were joining them at Levi's house where Jesus was eating with them. And, and, and it made the religious elite so upset. But these are the ones who believe. These are the ones that have faith. The, the ones that you would never imagine. And yet his family, the religious leaders, they're the ones that think he's out of his mind. They're the ones that attack him, saying that that he casts out demons by the power of Satan. Totally unexpected. And, And we talked about Mark is going to keep on doing this to us. We can expect the unexpected as he goes and tells the story. There are so many things that you just aren't ready for. And yet, this is the way that Jesus is working. And then we come to verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul. This was the official strategy. You remember at the beginning of chapter 3. Yes, chapter 3. At the beginning of chapter 3 where it said Jesus had had gone through this whole process and then had had been uh, um, challenging all of the traditions that, that the Jewish people had, especially the Pharisees and stuff, and, and, and challenged their understanding of fasting, challenged their understanding of, of, of the, the Sabbath, of how to observe the Sabbath, and, and, and the role that, that, that they would play in, in worshiping God through the Sabbath. And, and they had come to the place where they had decided the Pharisees then conspired with the Herodians how they could destroy him. So they had been getting together at Jerusalem, having this little conclave to say, how are we going to get rid of this guy? And this is what they came up with. I know we'll discredit him. If we tell everybody that he does all of these things by the power of Satan, nobody will listen to him, right? We got him. Not really bright, I'm sorry to say. 
if that's the best that they could come up with. So these teachers of the law came from Jerusalem with the official, uh, the official plan, the official strategy. This is how we're going to get rid of Jesus. He's casting out demons by Beelzebul. And Jesus very quickly and very easily starts by pointing out the, the real illogical problem with this statement. I mean, if your accusation is that Satan is casting out Satan, how does that work? Why, why does that make sense? How, how would, how, why would Satan do that? And he talks about how obviously a house that's divided against itself cannot stand. If that's Satan's strategy, if that's the way that he's going to deceive the whole world by casting out demons, that doesn't make any sense. That's not going to work. His, his attempts at, at this world are not going to happen. If we read some of the parallel passages uh, in Luke, Jesus says, um, tell me, how do your sons cast out demons? <laughs> Jesus throwing it back at them. If you're saying that I'm throwing them out by Satan, what about you? Where does your authority come from? Because everybody knew that, that only God had authority over the demonic powers. And so if Jesus is able to have control, have authority over demons, that's not something that comes through Satan. That's something that God has given. Now who is this Beelzebul? You might actually, some of your translations might show that it's Beelzebub. Uh, there are a few different variations in some of the Greek texts, the copies that we have um, over time. Um, but Beelzebul, uh, Beelzebub means uh, a lord of flies or lord of the dung heap. It was kind of a derogatory term that the Jews had come up with for one of the Philistine gods that was that we read about in Second Kings, um, and and they they started calling him Beelzebub, the lord of the dung. Not very pleasant, not very complimentary. Obviously showing their uh, derision for this false uh, god. But it comes from Baal. Uh, Baal is lord of. Um, and Zebub is uh, dung or, or flies. Beelzebul, same thing, lord of. But it is lord of the dwelling or the house. Um, uh, sometimes it's Lord of the Temple. It's understood to be Lord of the Temple. So this is another name for false gods that was out there. And that's probably, that seems to be the most um, accurate uh, um, uh, copy that we have from, from the original. would have been likely Beelzebul. Makes kind of sense when you look at Jesus and he's talking about um, how a house divided cannot stand. Um, he, it, playing off of that name, Lord of the House, Beelzebul. Um, so, but, but we know that this is Satan, right? It talks about he is the, the prince of, of demons, is how he casts out demons. And so we know that this is Satan. So Jesus, starting off by just blowing holes in their logic of, of their accusation, but he doesn't leave it there. He goes on to then talk about 
about how all sins will be forgiven the children of men, whatever blasphemies they utter. But he gives this warning, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Jesus goes from, from attacking their logic in their attack against him to giving them a pretty severe warning. Careful warning that that for you to take the, the acts of the Holy Spirit and to attribute them to Satan, that's getting yourself into a place where you are removing yourself from any opportunity of, of being rescued by God. It is the Holy Spirit who moves in our hearts to bring us into that place of regeneration. He's the one who, who brings us to the place where we understand what our sin is and recognize our need for a Savior and bring us to that place of humble repentance. If you are attacking and, and, and undermining and, and claiming that, that that is the act of Satan, you're isolating yourself from the only one who can bring you to new life in Jesus. It's interesting the, the the language that Jesus uses there when he talks about um, how that that all sins will be forgiven. The Greek word that's being used there is in the passive voice, which means that it is an action that is being done to someone. So so uh, that their sins will be forgiven is indicating that God is in. In, in action where, where God is forgiving their sin, uh, coming from outside of themselves, and they are receiving that forgiveness from Him. But then He says, uh, but, ever who, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. And that is in the active voice, which means it's something that, that, that they as the object are, are doing themselves, not something that's being done to them. And I think that gives us a, a good insight into the whole problem with this eternal sin that Jesus is talking about. Because, because God is willing to give forgiveness, but when you are blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, when you are claiming that the works of the Holy Spirit are actually from Satan, then you are removing yourself from any chance of forgiveness. God is still there. God is still willing. But, but you as an individual have cut yourself off from any work of God being able to bring you to that place of repentance. It's not the only place where we see this kind of a warning. Uh, some of the other biblical authors pick up on this idea. And, and it's a, a difficult one for us to be able to come to because we understand that, that God is a forgiving God, that God loves us, and, and our our forgiveness isn't dependent on ourselves, but it's on what God does for us. So I know that there's lots of people that have wrestled with this and, and, and thought to themselves, oh dear, I've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. Now I will never receive forgiveness. And it's a difficult one. It's one that we need to understand. It's one that we need to come to grips with. But but ultimately, it is, it is not an issue of getting to a place where I have ticked God off so much that He will never forgive me. 
The challenge is that I have cut myself off from any work of God in my life, and that is my only hope. And if I refuse the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, there's no other way that I will ever receive forgiveness. It's not so much about what God has, but it's what I am unwilling to receive. And so we read about that in uh, places like uh, Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3. Make sure I get the right one. Hebrews chapter 6. Absolutely, that's the right one. Difficult words. Man, this this is tough for us to, to read some of these things. It challenges some of the things that we hold fast to. But uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit. and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they then fall away, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those who, who, uh, for who its sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God, but if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Challenging words. Difficult things to, to, to wrestle with. And, and, and heartbreaking, right? Because there are those in my life, maybe also in your life, who we know that they have tasted of the goodness of God. We've seen the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. We know that they have at one point made that decision where they are ready to receive from God. But at some point, as they have continued to harden their hearts and turn their backs on God and refuse the work of the Holy Spirit, They've fallen further and further and further away. And there are those friends of mine that when you have conversations with them, they want nothing to do with the the, the wondrous goodness and forgiveness of God. And it breaks your heart because they have made that choice to separate themselves from God. but we don't stop praying. We don't give up on them because God doesn't give up on them. That they would come to that place where they would once again embrace and and recognize the work of the Spirit in their lives. That there can be forgiveness. That there can be repentance. That there can be new life. I think that's the challenging 
nature of this statement has led some people to try and, and explain that, that this eternal sin that Jesus is talking about only applies to this particular generation, these particular people in that time and that place because they were the ones that had the Savior, the Messiah there with them. They saw the miracles. And remember who these people are, right? These are the teachers of the law that were there with Jesus when that, when that man who was paralyzed got lowered down through the roof. And Jesus said to him, your sins are forgiven. And in their minds they said, well, hold it. Only God can forgive sins. What is this man saying? And then Jesus establishes his authority not only over the physical realm, but also His authority as the divine Messiah, the Son of Man. And then raising that man up and, and healing him. And what did they all do? They praised God. They glorified Him because they saw that yes, the Messiah is here. God has come to set us free. God has come to to. to Rescue us from our sins. And they were there. They saw. They made that, 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 that confirmation. They were ready to accept Him as their Messiah. And then Jesus very systematically, very pointedly started challenging their expectations, their traditions, their interpretation of Scripture. Within a short time, these very same ones that knew that this was God determined in their hearts that they didn't want that God. That's what they were saying. They were the ones that came to that place of, of rejecting the Messiah that had come to rescue them. And they had hardened their hearts. And so, uh, there are those that say that, that this eternal sin was something that only those people could ever commit because they were the ones that saw the divine nature of God. They saw His hand at work and they said, we don't want that. It's possible. But I think these other passages in, in Scripture, and there's a number of places, and we could kind of go through uh, other warnings that, 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 that the authors, the biblical authors, uh, give to us about hardening our hearts. That, that when we come to a place where we, just like the children of Israel, are ready to be set free from captivity, and walk out in faith that God is going to lead us. If we then harden our hearts and grumble and complain about the way that God saves us, leads us further and further away. Uh, the, the author in Hebrews uh, talks about that in, in earlier in chapter 6, just about hardening your hearts and, and quotes from, uh, from the Psalms about don't harden your heart. 
when the day of blessing, when the Lord comes and reveals Himself to you, as they did in the wilderness. There are so many of those places where, where we see those, those warnings for us. And so we have to believe that, that it's just as much true for us today that we need to guard ourselves from coming to that place of saying, no God, I don't want You the way that You are. I want You my way. And denying the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The more that we harden our hearts, the more that we back away from Him, the further and further we get. And then we come to the, the conclusion of what we started off with about his family hearing about Jesus and coming to seize them. So, so they heard about it there in Nazareth. And so they went out to seize him and they, they went out to seize him. So they started traveling and, and, and journeying to Capernaum. In the mid, in the, uh, midterm, we have this interaction with the, the Pharisees. And then finally, the family arrive and we see that it's Jesus' mother and his brothers. And they're standing outside and calling to him. And Jesus has this wonderful statement Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Jesus is helping us to understand what it means to be a part of the family of God. Who is a part? of the family of God. It's not those people that we would expect. You would, you would think that Jesus' family would be on board. They would have seen Him grow up. And we don't have really much testimony at all about Jesus' child development, how He grew up. But you got to imagine He was a pretty special kid. Right? They would have seen all of that. They had all of the experiences of those things that had gone on, the, the angelic visits, the, the, uh, the uh, visitations from, from others that were coming and celebrating Jesus, the prophecies from Anna and Simeon at the temple. All of these things, all of these pieces. And yet they are the ones that are coming and not believing. They don't understand. So being a part of the family isn't because of any blood relation. This is a powerful statement to a Jewish family, to a Jewish ear, to a Jewish audience. Because the expectation is we are the chosen people of God. He through Abraham has chosen all of us through the patriarchs. And we being the blood relatives of that Abraham, we surely are a part of the family of God. Jesus is pointing out blood relation does not gain us entrance into that kingdom, into that family. Instead, he looks around at those who are sitting with him. He says, these are my mother. My brothers, 
Those that do the will of God, they are my brothers, my sisters, my mother. Now, don't misunderstand, because it's easy to do. There were those that, that, that will read that statement and say, okay, so I need to do the will of God, then I gain entrance into the family of God. That is not what Jesus is saying here. What he is saying is those that are a part of the family are doing the will of God. That it is because of their membership as a part of that family, as being brothers and sisters with Christ, that they will then do the will of God. If we miss that, we're totally missing Jesus' point. We're totally mis misunderstanding the whole process of salvation in our lives. That it's not our doing that, that, that gains us entrance into the family of God. It's not the family that we're a part of. It's not the things that we do. What it comes down to is faith. Just like the leper. If you will, I can be healed. Just like the, the paralyzed man and his friends. They believed and they had faith in who this was. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. It is through faith. And we've been talking about this with the youth group as we've been studying Galatians. Uh, it is not belief in God. Paul writes about how Abraham believed God and it was counted him as righteousness. It wasn't that he believed that there is a God, that there was a Creator and all the rest of that kind. He believed, he heard the Word, the promise of God, and he believed that that was true. And he trusted that God would fulfill that. And he took steps in that promise and that reality. And that's what saves us. Not faith in God. Not faith that God exists. Faith isn't something that we have. Faith is saying, God, I believe. I might not see it right now. I might not see the end result right now, but I trust that what you said is true. I trust that Jesus' sacrifice on that cross paid the penalty for my sin. I trust that. I trust that Jesus raising from the dead means that He now lives and leads and guides me in every day of my life so that I can now live a life that reflects Your character, that produces the fruit of Your Spirit. And I trust in that. That's what faith is. Those that have faith are part of the family of God. And those are the ones who do the will of God. Do you believe? Do you have faith that what God said is true?
Are you trusting that Jesus' sacrifice was all that was necessary for your sins to be forgiven? Do you have faith in the fact that He now lives in your heart and guides your steps each and every moment of each and every day? That's your faith. And you are Jesus' brothers. Jesus' sisters. We are a part of the family. And you will do the will of God for His glory, for His kingdom. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for inviting us to be a part of your family. Thank you that, that there's not anything that we can do to earn that, but instead, you have done it all. And this morning, Lord and Savior, with all our hearts, we once again affirm, yes, that's what I have faith in. And that we all here have the opportunity of being brothers and sisters as we look to You and have that faith. Lord, I pray for those maybe that are here that haven't come to that place yet, that are still wondering about the, the claims that Jesus has made, that are still uncertain about whether they can trust You to do the right thing to lead and guide them in the right way. Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would come in, that You would break down any walls, any strongholds that are there. That You would, through Your presence, through Your, uh, um, uh, through your Spirit, reveal to them what is true. And bring to that place here this morning, today, to say, yes, I believe. For the rest of us, Lord, we've got a week ahead of us full of problems, full of challenges, full of, uh, of powers and principalities that are trying to destroy and, and undermine that faith. That there are, are, are those that would tempt us to turn our backs on that faith. That there are those, uh, those secret hidden sins that we are, are so, so weak to fighting against. Father, would you take us from this place walking as brothers and sisters of Christ? That in that place of faith, of trusting in You, that we will go and do Your will. That we will walk in Your path. And that we will shine Your light in this world. Because there are so many that need to know. So we think, say thank you that through Jesus Christ we can overcome. 
and then our lives will be marked as children of yours because of your Holy Spirit working within us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.